God, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the gathering of believers to come here. Lord, once again, I pray that our distractions, the things that are out there in the world, that, that through your power those cease for just a few more moments. Father, I pray that we hear directly from you. There's power in your word. Your word is alive and it's active. So right now we just call on your spirit to teach us. Meet us where we are. Thank you, God. Amen. All right, so it's uh, interesting, of course, you know, uh, I wasn't here last week, and so part of this was written uh, for last week, and then it was modified again for this week. But, but two weeks ago, um, you know, I, I, I threw out some numbers of the church. And I threw out some things that, 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 that Pew Research and Barna Research, these statistics that, that have gone on where they've interviewed people, uh, they've interviewed Christians and, and the number of people who claim to be Christians and the number of people who claim to, to be churchgoers and, 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 and how they're not and they're, how the view of Christianity has shifted in our culture within, within the last, well, it's been always shifting. And it's interesting that AL.com uh, on the next day, this will be Monday the 23rd, um, that it shared an article about Alabama being part of the Bible Belt. You hear that, that we are part of the Bible Belt, and we'll say it around here, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's more, more churches than there are bars, and we're like the Bible, you know, we're the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. Like, there's churches everywhere. Uh, most of our people uh, come in from outside of this little community right here, and, and you pass churches. Not, not another church, you pass churches. We ought to do that as a competition one time to see who actually passes the most churches to, to get here. Because I mean, some of you, are, you're, you're up there. There's churches, there's churches everywhere in North Alabama. And, and this article was, was talking about how being part of the Bible Belt, you would just think that things would be different. And it was not a flattering article, man. It, it, it was one that, that pointed out several shortcomings of the church. It asks the question, how come we are not making a greater difference in our region? If, if, if we are so churched in our state, how come we don't look different than other states? Now, I'm not going to rattle off a bunch more numbers for you today, but I, I do find it interesting that what has become social norms are just as much a part of the local church as they are outside the church. For example, the divorce rate. The divorce rate is just as high amongst Christians who are churched versus the unsaved. The abortion rate is higher for the church in our country than you would expect. Uh, you, you know, I've been volunteering down here at Save a Life and uh, went in and I, and I asked a couple of ladies, you know, tell me, tell me about who's coming in here. We asked through four or five questions. 70%, this is Decatur, Alabama, there's six churches within half a mile of the Pregnancy Resource Center. 70% of the people who come in for an abortion claim to be a Christian and have a church home. That's just right down there. Drug use within the church is at an all-time high. 
No pun intended. And, and I sit here and I think about this, and I think about articles like this, and it's like, if, if the church is so effective, if, if, if the church is what Jesus and what God planned, how come the church looks so much like the world? Like, like how come there's not this difference? And, and there, there is a difference within the church, and, I, and we can break it down and everything, but I'm like, you would think, you would think that a lot of the social problems, things that are outside of the walls of the church would not be here, but they are. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, don't miss this, will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. I agree with him 100%. The greatest issue we face in our American culture, in our world today, is that with the number of people who claim to be Christians, will they actually become disciples? Because there's a difference. And so for the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about this the Send Me series. We're looking at the mindset of Isaiah. If you remember, Isaiah is on the way to the temple, and he came into the presence of God. Right? I mean, there were the, remember the, the Falcons, uh, the, the Air Force, the, 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 thunder, the Thunderbirds were flying around. I mean, those are the angels, the cherubim. I mean, they're, they're, they're flying, and they're, he's just awestruck in God's presence. Right, I mean, he, he's, he's there, and God just says this message. Who's going to go for me? And Isaiah, so moved by being in the presence of God, just blurts out, here I am, send me. Man, he's not asking questions. He's not asking, is this going to fit into my schedule? He doesn't say, well, he doesn't make excuses. Well, i got to take all the time. He didn't know. Here I am. Well, whatever you need, Lord, here I am. Send me. Me. And so that's the mentality that I have been praying for within this body of Christ followers. Here I am, Lord. Whatever you want. And I hope you've felt convicted of this because I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you by name. I've been lifting you up that you will have this mentality. When you go out into your world. So the vision of LifeBridge Christian Church, the vision of this local body, is that you on a personal level will strive, that you will desire to become like Jesus. And if we're going to become like Jesus, we must be willing to say yes to the Lord. And so we've looked at the two stories. There was one in Isaiah that I just shared with you. And then the other day we looked at, uh, we looked at the little boy. Jesus is feeding 5,000 people. And I'm not going to recap the whole story and everything. But you, you remember the story, I hope, that, that we've got all these people, they need to be fed. And there was one boy that, that, that had some bread and he had some fish. And it was just enough to feed him. In, in, with, with what God had blessed him with, 
in his hands, he could have fed himself and not worried about anybody else. But he was the one person in the whole crowd willing to give what God had. And here's the thing. When we give what is ours and we give it to God, miracles happen. But too many of us, man, we're holding on to our bread. We're holding on to our fish. And we're not willing to share. Too many of us, God's giving us this stuff, man. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm holding on to it. And I don't trust that what you God can do with what I'm going to give you is, is greater than what I don't know if it's going to meet my needs. Because if I give it to you, it's now no longer it's no longer about me. Right? I, I, I am now not being taken care of. And Jesus is like, man, you give this stuff to me, I'm going to take care of everybody. And so that's the mentality. That's 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 what we're looking at. These are people who have said yes to the Lord. Here it is. I trust you. And so today we got another story. Comes from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 through 22. Jesus has lived his 30 years. He's, he's, he's left mama. He, he's, he's gone down to, to meet John. He's been baptized. He's now, God descended upon him like a dove. This is my son. With him, I'm very well pleased. He's led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. He goes out there, he goes hungry for 40 days, he's tempted by the devil, he comes back, he starts preaching along the shoreline. And he's preaching there for a couple of days, and then this happens. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. All right, so understand, Jesus, is, Jesus has been preaching here. The, the, the Chosen, if you're watching The Chosen, you go back to season one, they, they do a good job of kind of setting this up for you, of giving you a visual of what this looks like. This is, this is not Jesus is a complete stranger and, and Peter and Andrew and James and John have no idea who he is. Like, we're just going to follow this stranger, even though because he just said, follow me. No, 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 no. Jesus had been in that region. Teaching, preaching. Kingdom of heaven is near. Repent of your sins. They, they had heard of, of John. The, the, the crazy guy out in the wilderness who was wearing the camel and eating the honey and the locusts and the, you know, I mean, that wild man out there and he's preparing the way for this Messiah. They, they knew their Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. They, they knew those things as, as, as young Jewish boys, knowing that there was this Messiah to come. So this moment is the launch of Jesus' ministry. He came to earth for two primary reasons, church. This is the gospel. He, he, he came to earth for two primary reasons. One, to be the propitiation for all of humanity. To buy back your sins. To be the atonement. Because God can have nothing to do with sin. It is not in his nature. And we choose sin all the time. We choose ourselves all the time. 
And Jesus stepped out of the glorious splendor of heaven and he came to earth to be the atonement, to buy us back. He took on the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you think your life is. It doesn't matter what you've got, got going on this very second in your life. The sin that was there yesterday, 10 years ago, and the sin that will be there three days from now. It can all be wiped away. He's already paid for it. So that's one reason he came. The second reason is to show us how to do ministry. Show us how to do ministry. God has always wanted to use people. God's always wanted to use people to reach people. And, and it's, for whatever reason, it's not worked. And so he comes down and says, I'm going to show you how to do ministry. I'm going to do it in relationship. I'm going to bring people into, and we're going to live together. We're going to spend every day for three years together. And we're going to walk around, and we're going to deal with people. And I'm going to show you guys how to love one another as I love you. So that's what he did. And so that's the launch of Jesus' ministry. And his plan for the continuation of his ministry was found within the invitation that he extended to the others in verse 19. He invited them in and he said some very powerful words, life-changing words found in verse 19. He looks at these guys and he says, come, follow me. Now I'm not going to get into the history of the rabbinical system. Uh, it's fascinating. I encourage you to check it out. I've got some links. I've got some videos you can watch on this kind of stuff. But here's what you need to know about a rabbi in this day and age. The purpose. A rabbi would invite you into a relationship. He would, he would look at you, and if you were qualified, he would say, you come and you follow me. Or if you were a go-getter, you would go to the nearest rabbi that you admired, and you say, can I study under you? And you would literally follow your rabbi. You would say goodbye to mom and dad. And then you would go and you would literally follow your rabbi for the sole purpose to carry on the legacy of the rabbi once he passes away. And it was a tremendous honor. It was an honor to have a rabbi that thought you were qualified enough to be chosen to follow said rabbi. So, so that you could carry on the mission of this particular rabbi. So they were all Jews and they all believed in God, but they had, all had their little twists, their own little, little nuances. And so I would be honored if a rabbi selected me to follow him, to become like him. And that's why you followed a rabbi. You wanted to learn the way. You, you, you wanted the same respect that came with it. Well, these men, they're fishermen, which means they didn't get selected by a rabbi. Which means they're outcasts. Which means they're rejects. Which means when, when they were growing up, it was, hey, this rabbi's business, this not for you. You go back and you fish and you work doing the things that your mom and dad do. And Jesus comes along and he invites these men into a relationship. Come and follow me. And they know what's about to happen. They know why they're going to follow. 
If they say yes to this invite, then they're saying no to something else. That's just true in life, right? If I, if I say yes to, to going and eating at Buffalo Loops today, I'm saying no to going and getting out of 50 tacos. If I say yes to meeting with somebody after church today, I'm saying no to a longer nap time. It just makes sense. If I'm saying yes to something, most likely I am saying no to something else. And so here they are in this pivotal moment. All slimy, been working. I mean, they just casted nets just, 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 just a few seconds ago. They just casted some nets. Smelling like fish. Been up all night. Come follow me. They say yes. They're saying no to something. And in this case, the text tells us exactly what it is. They drop their nets. That's their livelihood, by the way. They drop their boats. You don't believe in miracles? Some men said no to boats. All right? I mean, they got their boats right there. They're, they're going out there. They're going fishing. Probably water skiing in off hours. I don't know. I mean, they're, 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 they're doing their thing. And they said no to boats. They said no to their dad. In the moment, they say yes, they're saying no to something. And so these guys are, are saying no to all of this stuff so that they can say yes to Jesus. They are giving up their life as they know it. They're giving up their families. They're giving up their livelihoods. And Jesus becomes the main thing in their life. He does. He becomes the main thing. He becomes it. There, there, there is no anything else. It is Jesus. It is, we're not going home and getting a change of clothes and, and freshen up real quick. It's, it's none of that stuff. Peter's married. He's not going home and kissing his wife goodbye. That's not it. Jesus is becoming the main thing in their life. And so, I ask you, church, is he the main thing in your life? Or, or do you just fit him into your life when you need him? Do you just fit him in on Sunday mornings? Living how you want to live Monday through Saturday night. Is he just there as an item of convenience? I mean, we know the answer in public. Is he the main thing? Absolutely, he's the main thing. But what does your life say? What, what, what are the actions of your life? What do they say? Is Jesus the main thing? Because I can tell you this later on. This is not coming up on the screen. But, but there's a large crowd of people following Jesus. And he's by this point in time, he's got his 12. They're rocking and rolling. And, and the number's growing. These are the 12 apostles, and then he's got more disciples, and he's got the Marys, and, and there's this large crowd following Jesus, and he stopped. He, he turned around, and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you, all you people are following me, if you want to be my disciple, 
You must, by comparison, don't miss these words, hate everyone else. Your father and mother. Your wife and children. Brothers and sisters. Now, I know that one's a little bit easier for some of y'all. Yes, you must even hate your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Okay, we just crossed a whole bunch of lines. I mean, we're family. Family first. I heard it this week from somebody. Family's got to take care of family before anything else. And I didn't disagree with what the person was saying. Jesus' church is not contradicting himself here. Uh, no, 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 nowhere does he desire for you and I to hate anything. Okay? This is a little bit of um, hyperbole, sarcasm, whatever you want to use. He's trying to make a point. And he's telling the crowd that, that mom and dad and Nana, man, they, they can't come before me. Hey, your own children that you idolize and you worship and you give everything you can to so they have the best life, that they don't come before me. Your job, your hobbies, your, your, your whatevers, they cannot come before me. She's making this point. That he is the most important thing. Oh, and if the rest of that stuff isn't a big deal, when did you pick up one of these crosses? The, the Roman, dreaded Roman torture device. They were scared of the cross. We don't like the IRS, man. The IRS sits up there and we're all scared of audits and that kind of stuff. And do we do it right and everything? We're coming in tax season. Everybody buys the audit protection. We, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can, man. We, 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 we dread the IRS. Man, this Roman cross thing was a much bigger deal. Because all I got to do is look at them wrong. All I got to do is step out of line. And if one of these Roman centurions are having a bad day, man, they can string me up on the cross. No questions asked. They were in charge. And we've seen people hanging from the cross. We've seen people tortured. And Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. And you just said, pick up a cross and follow me. Yeah. Because if you want to be my disciple, you've got to lose your life. If you want to be my follower, if you want to come and follow me, you cannot put value in anything else, including your own life. Because the minute you put value on your life above me, you are now putting yourself on the throne. And I'm the only thing, Jesus says, worthy of being on the throne. So he's making a big deal here. Come and follow me. And they say yes. Now, following the physical Jesus who verbally asked you to follow him, it meant, it meant leaving everything you own and walking with him daily. But we don't have a physical Jesus walking in the door. 
We, 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 don't, we don't have that. All we have is the text. All we have is Matthew and Mark and Luke's version of this. Where he invites people to come into a relationship with him. Because here's the thing. The, the follow me, the come follow me invite, that was not just for those men on that seashore. That invite was for you to this day. That invite is for my daughter, for my son. That invite is for your children, your grandchildren, who aren't even speaking yet. Come and follow me. So the question is, how do we do it? I mean, we don't have a physical Jesus. We don't have a physical Jesus standing here saying, come on, guys. Don't worry about your cars. We'll get those later. I mean, does Jesus want all of us to quit our jobs? Does, does Jesus want us to never take a vacation again? Does Jesus, does Jesus not want me to allow my kids to be involved in any extracurricular activity? I mean, how do we follow Jesus today? This is a tough one. I mean, how do you spell this out? Here's the thing. Simplified version. Being a follower of Jesus means living my life the way he would live my life if he were me today. Let me say that again. Being a follower of Jesus means living my life the way he would live my life if he were me today. I can't correct yesterday. I can't correct that thing I did. I can't, I can't make up for my past. Starting today, how would Jesus live my life? How would Jesus treat that dreaded co-worker that you've got to run into tomorrow? Huh? I mean, how, how, how would Jesus tip after getting subpar service at lunch in a couple of minutes? How would Jesus use his spare time this afternoon? What would Jesus watch on TV? How would Jesus raise your children? That's what being a follower is. We kind of make fun of the whole, what would Jesus do? Bracelets, they're coming back, and Stella's got some, and, and, and she's got some new ones out, and all this kind of stuff, and you know, back in the, the, the day where everything was, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? They're not wrong. What would Jesus do? Being a follower of Jesus means living my life the way he would live my life if he were me today. So you want to leave here? You want to follow Jesus? You want to make the commitment to, to put him first? That's the filter that you filter everything in your life through. And how would he handle this? How would he do this? And so Jesus began his ministry on earth with follow me. He's standing there right there on the seashore. Follow me. And he goes on to tell him, I'm going to make you, and I, I cut all this out for you just so you know. I, I, I I was going to talk about that. I will make you part in the fishers of men part. I cut all that out. 
But that's the invite. Follow me and I'm going to transform your life. Is your life transformed? I mean, we're, we're often our biggest critics. I understand that. But, but can we look at your life? Can you look at your life? Can you look in the mirror and outside of maybe, you know, the added pounds and the gray hair and that kind of stuff, can you look at the last 10 years and say, you know what, my life really is transformed because I'm following Jesus? Or, or when it comes to the spiritual nature of things, are you still the same person? Because Jesus is the one that says, man, when you follow me to become like me, that's why you're following me, I'm going to make you. Um, you, there's going to be transformation that takes place in your life. And, and instead of fishing for fish, as slimy and smelly and nasty as those things are, you're going to fish for people. And they're slimier and they're smellier and they're, they're a whole lot worse. But that's where you're devoted. That's, that, that's why you're following me for them. And so he began his ministry with this whole, come follow me. Well, then he ends his ministry with this. He's up on a mountain. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a lot here to unpack. We're going to focus on one word, and that's good. He began with come, follow me. He's now ending his ministry on earth with go. Go and repeat the process of what he did with those guys. Because y'all saw me do it, man. We did this together for three years. And we walked all over this region. We spent time. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be doing some of the things that, 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 that I did. But I want you now to go and do what you saw me do. Repeat the process. And you know what, man? They didn't have all the answers. I don't, I don't know about you, but when it comes to... to Disciple making and wanting to teach and invest in other people, man. I, I, I want more answers. I want more knowledge. I, I, I need more information. They didn't have that. They did not have all the answers. As a matter of fact, John tells us that our faith is greater in believing in him this day and age because all we have is the Bible and the Holy Spirit. They had the physical Jesus. It's like, man, much greater is your faith. They did not have all the answers. They had no idea what opportunities were before them. But here's the thing, church. These followers, they said yes to Jesus. And they lived this out as Jesus planned. And as a result, as a result of them saying yes, we're sitting here today. You are here today because these men and women said yes to Jesus. And they did the thing the way he wanted them to do it. And we are here today. I, I'm going to tell you right now. If, there, if we're going to have this strategy of, of, of taking over the world, having this global movement, we're not going to start with 12 
half-educated guys who were the least of these. We're going to run social media campaigns, and we're going to spend big bucks and marketing. We're going to do all this stuff to get our word out there. Not what Jesus did. He didn't come down there and stop a mud hole in, in the Roman army. All right, He didn't come down there and just assort, assert his authority. No. He came down and he showed these 12 men and women, or 12 men and some women on the outside, how, how to love, how to live in relationship with one another. And then at the end of his three years, his time on earth, he said, go and do the same thing. And as a result of that, it spread to the ends of the earth. And church, here's the thing. When we do things the way Jesus asked us to do them, we will have generational impact. You're going to have generational impact. You are here today because these men and women did what Jesus commanded. And Bill Hull writes, God has promised to bless his plan. And making disciples is his plan. He didn't tell us to build churches. Jesus did not command us to start mission organizations or Christian universities. He commanded us to make disciples. It's possible to attend a good church. Man, it's possible to get a degree. It's possible to even work in full-time Christian vocation and not make disciples. That was Jesus' plan moving forward. Make disciples who can make disciples. And as a result of some obedient followers, we are sitting here today, and it's now on us. Because the reality is, Jesus did not create the mission for the church. He created the church for the mission. And our very gathering, you're here today, our very gathering is all about fulfilling the mission of Jesus making disciples. And I'll tell you right now, it's so much more than church attendance. It's so much more than church involvement. It is about prioritizing Jesus above everything else. And when we do this, when I prioritize Jesus above anything else, and I start to pour that into other people, and those people grasp it, and then they start to pour into other people, there starts to begin this generational impact. There's this ripple effect on people that we may never grasp. And so that's what Jesus was inviting these men into. And I love the detail. I love the detail that it was immediately. Immediately, they stopped what they were doing. And they followed him. And is there something we need to stop doing so that you can follow him? God, we love you. We thank you for this message. We thank you for your, your message. We thank you for your word. It's life-changing, God. It's, it's why we are here today because of the the men who, who understood the things that you said and they chose to live it out. And so, Father, I, I, I pray that over our congregation right now. I, I pray that we too will have that same passion, that we will be willing to say yes to you. And, and, and maybe it's our, our one more that we're praying for right now. Maybe, maybe that's where we start to get into a discipling relationship. 
Or maybe, God, we're, we're, we're a step away from that. Maybe we're just sitting here on the fringe and, and we've been involved in church and church has been our everything. But, God, I need to take the step of actually following you. So, Father, I pray that there's conviction on our lives to take that step. So let, let your word meet us where we are. Let us not waste one more day not being obedient, not living the life that you have planned for us. Thank you, God. We love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're going to a time of response now. Our guys are going to come forward and we're going to we're going to pass the emblems in just a minute and we're going to, we're going to look at the, the body. The, the bread represents his body and the juice represents his blood and, and it's, it's the atonement of our sins that we're going to remember. But I want to read a passage for you first. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. And you know Him differently now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. That's you and I. If you are a believer today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know the old you is no longer there. That's not it. There's this new life. Your new life in your world, doing the things that you do, that has begun. And verse 18 says, and all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Uh-oh. No, no, I know we don't normally give up over communion meditations. He's given you the task of reconciling people to him. The word reconcile here, church, is, is to restore to a friendly relationship. That, 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 that means the people who are living in rebellion to God, man, they could be great people. They, they could be the salt of the earth, as we like to say. They could be good people. But, but people who are living in rebellion to God, He's given you and I this task of reconciling people to Him. Verse 19 says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. You and I, you have the message of reconciliation. You, you, you have this message of going into your world and knowing people who, who are unchurched, knowing people who do not have a relationship with the Lord. God has given you the message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. Being an ambassador is more than just your actions. It's more than just being a good person out in the community. Ambassadors speak for the very thing that they represent. And church, I'm here to tell you right now, you're his ambassador. 
He, there's an expectation that you can speak on behalf of him. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. To be the offering for my sin. And that's why we stop every week. And we reflect. And so these guys, in just a moment after I pray, they're going to pass these emblems out. You take, take the bread, take the juice, and you reflect on that for just a second. That Christ who never sinned is the offering for your sin. And because you believe that today, you are an ambassador. As, as, you, as you think on that today, know that you have the, the, the task, the message of reconciliation. You get to share with other people what you have in this room. Christ bought my sin. No longer have to carry that burden. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the willingness to send your son. To buy our sin back. I mean, we not take that for granted at all. Thank you for loving us that much. Amen.